This is Crossroads, a Get Religion podcast. The headquarters of the Los Angeles Times houses the largest newsroom in the Western world. So it's big news when 150 reporters are laid off from the Los Angeles Times. Two of their four managing editors quit, and that makes almost 2,700 jobs lost in the media in 2023. The Washington Post is reported to have lost $100 million in that year. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. Not a happy subject, but glad to be here. You have been arguing since the early 1980s that bad coverage of religion leads to the loss of readership and much less trust in the role of the press in American life. So are you celebrating the tsunami of red ink at so many of these major newspapers? Well, of course I'm not celebrating it because this includes a lot of my friends I've spent years in journalism education attempting to get, let's face it, conservative Christian colleges, members of the councils, Christian colleges, universities, to invest more time in journalism programs and trying to create pathways into at least middle American newsrooms and higher up for people with religious convictions to add to the diversity of those newsrooms. So it's no fun watching things that you fought for for decades go up in flames. At the same time, I have to admit that when I look back on research that I did as far away as the late 70s, early 80s, when I was in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, and doing eventually doing a master's degree in mass media, I was struck by things that no, listeners need to remember how long ago that is and how far back we are. I mean, this is still in an age when owning a local newspaper in an uncompetitive town was the, the, the hot phrase that it was a license to print money because basically you had no competition for mainstream advertising for business in a city. And when they say mainstream advertising, they mean broadcast, broadly based advertising for cars, vegetables, department stores, and all those sorts of things in the age, obviously, before Amazon. And in the age before Craigslist and the internet, et cetera, et cetera. But even then, I remember distinctly when I arrived at the Charlotte News and the Charlotte Observer, in 1983-84 and right in that period of time that the newspaper chain that owned those papers at that time and of course the Charlotte News has closed since then an afternoon paper they were already beginning to research who was going to replace the generations of readers who actually sat down and read things 
and read their newspapers. And they were trying to say, how can we change our newspapers to appeal to young urban readers who want to read about different kinds of things and might even want a more progressive kind of opinion-based journalism. That was all stirring around in the early 1980s. And it, it struck me within a few years as I read these reports coming out from newspaper companies that wanted to do this sort of thing, that it, it reminded me a lot of the whole seeker megachurch movement where you were seeing polls that you had a, a certain amount of the population who really didn't like going to church. They, they didn't like talking people face to face. They didn't like being pressed about religious beliefs. And they wanted to go to church services with ministers walking around with handheld mics or clip-on mics like Broadway headsets to sing and Hawaiian shirts and whatever else. And basically, you were trying to create a church for people who didn't like to go to church. And the problem was, what impact would that have to do on people who did want to go to church? Well, I began to see the same sort of thing surface in all of these reports about the future of newspapers. And that was, was it really going to work to build newspapers for people who didn't want to read newspapers? So that's our backdrop. That's the backdrop that is what? 40, 45 years old? Now we have an entirely different situation happening in our culture. And the division between blue states and red states and blue zip codes and red zip codes and half of America warring with the other half of America in many, many different ways. And essentially, you have to ask, in an age of social media and entertainment news, I would call it, and a lot of other things, if the Los Angeles Times can't make it with a publisher who invested, he's estimating, $1 billion into the newspaper, and if the Washington Post can't make it or is struggling to make it or is going to change into something completely different, in the capital of the United States of America, when it's losing $100 million a year, and it's owned by the czar of Amazon, the ultimate font of money in this day and age, you have to just simply ask, okay, what is the media going to look like? And listeners are probably aware of the fact that I believe it will look more and more like isolated, atomized, niche groups of Americans hiding inside their own concrete towers of digital information. I can't celebrate that either. This comes along with something a little, well, as existential and, and closely related to the financial trouble, and that is it's now being recognized that there's a problem, that the media in general, but journalism in particular, has a problem with trust. I don't think, according to the polls, the U.S. public has ever trusted the media less than it does today. Oh, it couldn't possibly trust the media less. But we have to note an essential 
hypocrisy built into the media landscape right now. And it's a hypocrisy about readers and viewers. We have all kinds of people who complain that our media has become more biased, it's become more niche-oriented, that it's divided into the haves and the have-nots and the reds and the blues, and they would like some sort of a return to some sort of common source of information. Yet all of the media studies indicate that the readers themselves are trending in precisely the opposite direction, and that if you, that the way you grow an audience of people who will pay for your product, and you can't pay for your product anymore with advertising because we've already killed the golden goose of common shared community-based advertising. We're way too <laughs> niche-oriented for that these days. So if, as I argued in that piece I wrote for Acton and Religion and Liberty, we've talked about it here several times, what do you do when biased negative news is good business? What is your economic model to offer something else? And that's the ultimate question that everyone is facing right now. But this is what's so amazing about that is to me, the Washington Post in particular is the model of a niche negative attack one audience in order to draw the other audience. To some degree, the Washington Post may be losing a battle with the New York Times for control of that niche, culturally liberal fortress. Wouldn't that be ironic? I mean, if papers like the LA Times and the Washington Post were losing all this money in part because of the success of the digital online New York Times. That, to me, would be just about as ironic as it gets. So if bad coverage of religion has led to a loss of revenue and financial crises at many major newspapers, why close Get Religion now? Well, let's back up for a second. I mean, back in the early 80s when I was doing that research, what I began to see was that the more religious people were in your community, the more likely they were, and this is sort of logical if you think about it, it was an insurance company survey that revealed this, the, the more traditionally religiously active you were, the more likely you were to be an established member of your community and active in a lot of other civic groups, civic causes, even politics. There was a strong correlation between religious beliefs and practice and kind of salt-of-the-earth, grassroots, community involvement. Now, stop and think about it. If you were going to drive off those readers, one of the ways you would do it is to consistently and constantly screw up religion coverage. And that was what I was arguing in the early 80s. And the other thing that we were seeing about that time was the growth of the media elite studies, and we began to have a lot of media bias studies. And what jumped out of you in the media bias studies of that time was the degree to which religion was a key factor in all of this. The late, great George Cornell of the Associated Press told me about one study. He had a chance to examine 
the actual paper, you imagine it was done on paper, the actual paper forms that elite journalists in the blue zip codes of the Northeast in major names filled out. And in the slot for religion, 50% of the people who took the survey wrote the word none, N-O-N-E, in that slot. In other words, and not like I grew up Baptist or I'm culturally Catholic or I'm a liberal Jew, but I'm not all that practicing. It was none. And what George Cornell found interesting was the degree to which a high percentage of that 50% underlined the word none. It was not just, oh, no, not none. It's none, no religion. And it, it seemed to be a, a core part of their identity. And Cornell in the 70s and early 80s was already saying that this is a threat to the mainstream health of the press. And of course, he that was in his interest to say that since he was the Associated Press's only religion reporter. So I've been saying this for a long time. I don't think it's established, but I, I will say this. You have to consider also what has happened in the world of politics and American culture from that time. And this all, for me, dates back to something, again, I'm sorry to be repeating myself today, but this, when you start talking about closing it religion, it shouldn't strike anybody as strange that all kinds of stuff wells up in me from the 20 years of working on that website. And basically, Stop and think about the controversial Supreme Court cases of the last 40 years. I mean, the ones that really shook the nation. And it's not hard to realize that a lot of them had moral and cultural implications. So thus we have that famous quote from the New York Times editor, Bill Keller, in the farewell post I will write for Get Religion, I'm going to argue that the two most important words in the 20-year history of Get Religion were the words, aside from. And that was from a Keller appearance in which he argued that the New York Times was still doing basic American journalism. It could still be trusted specifically on politics, but that he admitted that on cultural and moral issues, the paper was becoming more open-minded, tolerant, and urban were the words he used. So he was asked again, do you favor the political left? And he said, aside from, there's those words, aside from the liberal values, sort of social values thing I talked about, no, I don't think that it does. And in the piece I wrote for Acton, I stressed the importance of the words aside from. And then I wrote the following, and I'll just read it to our listeners. The problem is that hot-button social issues have, after Roe versus Wade, dominated American politics, especially in elections linked to seats on the U.S. Supreme Court. According to Keller, his newsroom did old-fashioned journalism, except when dealing with issues such as abortion, euthanasia, sexuality, marriage, family, gay rights, education, cloning, and other sensitive issues that are inevitably linked to religion. That's all. Close quote. 
so I think it's hard to look at the divisions in our culture today without seeing a role for religion. And that comes right down to that famous image, the Jesus land meme, where the red part of America is called, this is one of my favorites, the Christian Republic of Jesus land is what the red states are called. And the rest of America and Canada is called the United States of Liberty and Education. Now, that's not some sort of deplorables polarization between the two sides, is it? Terry, you wanted to talk about an article in the Free Press, Trump again. The question is, why? What did you find there that ties into our conversation here? Well, it's really interesting. And the whole situation with Trump, this article, it argues that Trump is essentially, you know, if you if you look away from the actual political issues here, and you look at this as a primarily a cultural issue, Trump emerges as a kind of condensed symbol of the battles between red state America and blue state America. And also it's you're pro-democracy if you feel one way about Trump and you're anti-democracy if you feel the other way about Trump. And then you look once again at the role of morality and sexuality and religion and all that. And you have everything tied to that caught up in the politics of our age. Like I said, the single most important thing in American politics to many voters is who controls the Supreme Court. I would argue that in most elections, the economy and Supreme Court are the two biggest issues that are on the ballot every time. And Joe Biden was elected by many of his followers and in large part by the mainstream press as a way of returning to normal, to American life becoming normal. But then as this article at the Free Press, which is written you know, by someone with a background in CIA analysis and the Free Press is a very interesting, his name is Martin Gurry, G-U-R-R-I. And he argues that the nation could not conceivably become more divided than it is. And that when you talk about, well, look at Trump, look how abnormal he is and look how immoral he is. And then you back away for a second and then you're thinking about Hunter Biden and you're thinking about trends right now in to legalize or not legalize transsexual surgeries for children, not just people of age, above age 18, but children, and whether this should be done with state money, and you have the government fighting back against the Supreme Court on issues of abortion and Biden pledging to use the powers of the state to give more options on abortion. Then you have Biden now supporting the Supreme Court because it wants to allow him to cut down razor wire on the Texas border instead of letting the state do that. And then we've got a cross-dressing federal appointee caught stealing women's luggage and losing his job. And the Secretary of Defense vanishes for a week. You have all kinds of things that probably half of America would feel doesn't represent a good normal. And I think a more important trend that doesn't grab a headline, but one that concerns me a lot, is the degree to which the American military is increasingly favored 
by one half of America but not the other. And the fact that the part of the America that's growing in its distrust of the military happens to be the part of America that has the strongest history of supporting the military. And that's red zip codes tend to have more children who might want to go into the military. There probably are more Southern Baptists and Assemblies of God believers interested in going into the military than there are Episcopalians, ELCA Lutherans, and Unitarians who want to go into the military. So once again, this division is, in my opinion, and I think there's evidence for this, and a lot of people have stated this in this gripping article at the Free Press pounds away at this, this hatred between the two sides of America, this unwillingness to pay each other any attention and have any willingness to dialogue toward compromise at all, there is a religious and cultural and moral dynamic in it that cannot be denied. And at the same time, you have to admit that our dominant news institutions are in the blue zip codes. And there was a quote from James Bennett, the former editorial page editor of the New York Times, where he describes the New York Times in terms. He wrote this in the massive article in The Economist, and I quoted it in the piece that I wrote announcing the closing of Get Religion. It's a stunning quote, very blunt quote. The reality is that the Times is becoming the publication through which America's progressive elite talks to itself about an America that does not really exist. After Trump's election, the people's representative, the reader's representative at the New York Times, Liz Spayed, wrote a series of columns that ended up getting her fired from her position. Liz Spayed is a New York City liberal faculty member at Columbia University. I mean, the, the epitome of the establishment left. But Liz Spayed said, the simple fact is, does the New York Times want to listen to half of America? Does it want to cover half of America accurately? And yes, that half of the nation that's being left out of all that is Jesus land, to use the political cartoonist phrase. So what does that all have to do with get religion? We're, we're closing in part because we were created to defend basic, solid American journalism based on accuracy, fairness, and even balance on controversial issues. And yet everything that's happening in our culture is pushing us away economically and technologically and politically from that model. And so I concluded that Get Religion's work was done, that we had attempted to defend that model, and for a lot of reasons, that model lost. The American model of the press is gone. So that's why we're closing. And in my own life, my 70th birthday is dead ahead of me a couple of days from now, right before we close the website, ironically. No connection there. but. I've decided that it's more important for me now to focus my time and my energies not on criticizing the mistakes of the press, although that's easy to do and it's necessary and it's important to do. I'm going to turn my attention and I intend to start a substack on this 
and we might even, I hope, do some more stuff in audio and video related to that. I want to really focus on what all of this means to the church and the importance of the church being able to recognize the trends in its culture and somehow respond to them for the sake of its own members, for the sake of the unchurched, for the sake of families, for the sake of children, and for the face, the sake of the future of the church. So I'm going to go back to my Denver seminary days and try to focus more on signals from the culture that the church cannot ignore. And that's just simply how I have chosen to spend my time. Terry Mattingly, Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He is founder and editor of Get Religion, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thanks. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly.